welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this is our fourth mini-sode about Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. And this is our last episode about Evie Drake Starts Over. Um, we are talking about Summer, which is the fourth chunk. Allison, what yeah. did you think of the finale of Evie Drake Starts Over? Sorry, I was just thinking about, because you said finale, I was thinking about if this should be like a two-hour movie or if it should be like a four-part mini-sode, like an HBO mini-sode. And now I'm thinking you, You're saying mini-sode. mini-sode. You mean... Um, mini-series. This, mini-series. what we're doing right here, is a mini-sode. I really liked it. I'm very sad it's over. Because I, I think I've mentioned this earlier, because I read this book last summer, I knew what was going to happen. So when we started reading it again, I read this chunk already. And so this is like the... Th- third time reading this trunk in a year and it stays very good Mm -hmm. and it still has all the like slow burniness of everything while still getting you to the ending you want there's a real good evie andy fight that i makes me very uncomfortable a good evie andy makeup that i love yeah so yeah let's talk about so i there's a lot that happens it's a it's a a chunky chunk. Yeah. It was probably my favorite part of the book. I think I've mentioned that I like stayed up late one night reading because I could not put it down. And it was one of those things that happens with a really good book where like I can't stop reading, but I also really want to stop reading so that I can prolong it and savor it and I don't want it to be over. So it was a real struggle. I mean, Maybe we I'll can reread, reread it. <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about, so I think the first, like, major thing that happens in this is a confrontation between Evie and Andy. And if you'll recall, first, Dean gets back from his baseball tryout. Oh, right. Baseball tryout? And he and he still can't pitch. Yeah, the, he still got the yips. A twist of this movie I love, he's not fixed in that way, like. He cannot now suddenly pitch because he threw one good high school baseball game. Right. Yeah. He like still it's there. He's not um, he hasn't figured out what the issue is. And maybe like it doesn't matter anymore. Um, And there's this really sad kind of heartbreaking scene between Dean and Evie where they basically like concede that he's going to leave. Um, like they're his time in this town is up and he's going to go back to New York and, um, she didn't fix him or they're at least both feeling really bad about themselves and they're not telling each other why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of unspoken stuff that, um, is going on there and they're both just going to kind of like walk away from each other. And then the book ends. Just kidding. <laughs> There's something really interesting about that scene. One of the things I've been saying all the way along is that one of the things I love about this book is that Evie and Dean are very honest with each other and they tell each other all of the things that are kind of going on, um, except when it comes to each other and Mm -hmm. like how they're feeling, not only how they're feeling about each other, but how they're feeling about themselves in relation to the other yeah they're like Uh, not being honest about their own shit they're they're sort of okay telling the other one what they think they need but they're not good at like i think this is very true of people not good at sort of confronting what 
their own stuff. Right. And I'm not sure that like either of them until they kind of get some distance even knows how to verbalize any of that to the other. Like I'm not even sure they're aware of everything that's going on between them. But it it's just this really heartbreaking scene because there's it's written so beautifully. Like you can tell that these people love each other. They are in love with each other. They want to be together and neither is yet at the place where they can even acknowledge that for themselves. Well, and I think not losing the thread that this is Evie's story. Although we also get like one of the things I liked about it is we get like we get like Dean's perspective. You have chapters that are from his point of view. Mm-hmm. But this is Evie's story. And she isn't she has spent three fourths more than that of this book trying to fix him mm-hmm. and never ever confronting her own stuff. And so what we get in this chapter is her recognizing that. And it comes after this fight with Andy where they both say awful things to each other. It's mm-hmm. like a truly well-written fight and that like everyone is wrong. And they, these like two characters who we really like say things to each other that if your best friend said it to you would be astoundingly hurtful. Mm-hmm. And they don't speak for weeks. And then she spills rice and nails and Skittles. No, what's the third thing she spilled? <laughs> But it's like a, like it's like a a snowball effect. Like one thing bumps the other thing, and then like it all just yeah. She's like she reaching like- for nails, and it's because okay. So this is a chapter I loved. She after he's left has done the thing that you do when you're depressed and trying to deal with it, where you say you have to do one thing a day. So she goes to change a light bulb, and then has to fix something applesauce. Oh, it's like the perfect mix of things you don't want to all spill together. It's nails, applesauce, and rice all over her kitchen, and then she has. A panic attack. What isn't care, but is what I experienced this is a panic attack and on her knees on the floor in the house she never wanted. She couldn't catch her breath and like fully melts down and then texts Andy to be like, come over. And he, of course, immediately does because that, even when you have said reprehensible things to your best friend, they still, when you say, I need you to come here right now, still show up. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of things I love about this scene. First is that we've had an earlier emotional release from her where she breaks all the plates, but. We haven't had, like, a true, like, like, just, like, I mean, she gets some of her anger out, but she hasn't felt, like, the grief and sadness and all of that being triggered again now by Dean leaving. Like, this is after he has left and she has not been able to say the things that she wants to say to him. And so we get this, like, really raw, really organic scene And the other thing I love about this scene is that it's so true that like you, at least for me, like I can deal with all of like the really hard shit. And then the thing that will set me off is like my lunch order being wrong. You know, like it happened last week. I mean, like I was having a really hard week and there was just one thing after another. And then like the thing that like broke me was that our fucking Panera order was wrong. And we got a flatbread and a jug of lemonade that we did not order. And I mean, and when I tell you like I, I could not hold in my tears over fucking lemonade. Which we then uh, proceeded to drink. <laughs> it didn't go to waste. I just. But I mean, that's like that is the that is what I loved about the scene is that it's so true that like all of it is she's totally fine. She's going about her life like I mean, she's not totally fine, but 
She's otherwise functioning. And then the thing that makes the emotional release happen is spilling rice and applesauce, which sucks. But it's not the same as like all of the all of the, you know, the fight with her best friend and and her husband and all of it. Like like that was not what caused the panic attack and the emotional breakdown. It was spilling rice and applesauce. And I relate to that always. But like particularly right now, like in late like in hopefully like the late seasons of the pandemic and this endless winter with all this snow, like I relate to that so hard. Um, and and then you're right. Like the other thing I love about it is the Evie-Andy relationship where like they have said truly heinous things to each other, but they still show up for each other. And, and, and I think it's because like we on some level they know that the other one didn't mean it and there's some other shit going on here and because when you love someone and you trust them even in those hurtful moments you show up for them and she finally gets to tell there's been like a lovely build up to this moment where she's looking around this house that her husband bought without telling her and that has all these memories (laughs) and that has all of these memories of things that he did to her which in a few chapters will be finally referred to as abuse also in a scene i love we need to talk Mm -hmm. and she's looking around this house and dean's now gone so he there's not this sort of like nice lightness in the house anymore like she's no longer experiencing joy in it she's only left with the pain she had with her husband and when andy comes over and they're sitting on the floor after she's cleaned up with rice and she finally tells him all the things she's been lying to him about and all the things her husband did to her and she's finally honest about it with somebody other than Dean. I, there's this like lovely, they, I think just think like they finally understand each other better mm-hmm. and, and can move forward. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good scene. Yeah. It should really be in a movie or a miniseries. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then you're right. We also get this scene where she she admits a lot of this to Andy's girlfriend, Monica. Another and friendship that they develop really, they, that Linda Holmes develops really lovely. Yeah, and again, we've talked about, like, there's some earlier scenes where Dean sort of says to Abby, like, yours and Andy's relationship is unique and there's – an extent to which people don't understand it and 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 yet like the what we get between Evie and Monica is really nice. Um and the scene where like so Monica walks in and Evie is laying on the floor and Monica's like, Hey, can I come lay on the floor with you? <laughs> is so intimate and sweet and lovely. Um and then we get this we get some of the first sort of insight into who Monica is. Like, we've known her for most – and again, because you're right, this is Evie's story. Like, we've known Monica as Andy's girlfriend and kind of, like, some sort of basic details about her. But we get all this information about her own mental health struggles and her own past relationships. And I had this thought that, you know, I have no idea if Linda Holmes is planning to write additional books or, like, what that looks like. But I would love Monica's story. Yeah. Um, because what we get of her is really interesting. And and I also really love this sort of blossoming relationship between 
Evie and Monica. Um, and one of them says, like, I don't have a lot of women in my life. Like, would you mind if I, I called Monica you? Says, like, can we go to the movies or something? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's. I just really love that because I, you know, I think that there's there's something I don't know well, what I'm it, trying to say. Well, it, the one thing this book is missing is good female friendship and then we get it. And the thing I love about that scene is Monica says it and then Evie realizes she's like, I don't really have any women friends either because Tim wanted us to have couple friends. Um, so that I wouldn't be talking bad about him with my girlfriends. And, like, Monica gives her a look, and she's like, I know he was weird. And Monica says, that's not weird. That's emotionally abusive. And it's the first time Evie ever realizes it, which, like, if you have ever been in a a toxic or an abusive situation, in my experience, in my own toxic, abusive situation, you, like, enter a survival mode, and you find excuses for it why it's not as bad as it should be. So, like, in my personal experience, I remember relaying to dad everything that was happening. Our dad is a civil rights attorney, for background. And I kept saying, like, it's not that bad. I'm not being, uh, I'm not being, like, assaulted. I'm not being touched inappropriately. And I'm not being sexually harassed. And dad was like, whoa, if everything you're telling me is accurate, you are being sexually harassed. (laughs) And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, in my brain, I have made this all not that big of a deal because I need to get to the, mine was a work situation, because I need to get to the end of this like work situation and then I can be, then I can deal. And it wasn't until someone else who has a career in understanding when sexual harassment is happening said to me like, no, that's, Sometimes it just takes another perspective to say, like, you're not recognizing what's happening to you. And that was the first time I ever thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. And then you have to and that's what you need to get better, because then you have to confront the trauma of that. If you're always saying, like, it was, it's just like a weird, icky situation. It's not that bad. You're never going to confront the level of badness that's happened to you. The other thing I like about it is, like, just because you're not. You know, there are a couple things where, like, he pushed her and she got bruised or, like, he threw a glass and she cut herself on it. Like, this, her relationship with Tim borders on physical abuse, but it's heavy in the emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. And you get this sense of, like, well, it's not that bad. I wasn't, like, we think of abuse as, like, being beat every night. Like, it's not that bad. It's not this bad. Just because your situation is not the worst type of abuse that's ever happened does not mean you are not being traumatized by it and does not mean you not, do not need then need to address that trauma. And I just have never read a book or seen a movie about abuse that handles it in such a like nuanced and real way. There are certainly cases where people are getting beat every night and that's horrific. But if you're also just being emotionally borderline physically abused, that's bad too. And you're Mm -hmm. allowed to confront that trauma. And I really like that it's Monica who's like, nah girl, like this is, that was bad and you deserved better and you need to work on that. And then she goes back to therapy because therapy is the tits. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is like the other thing that happens in that conversation with Monica is like Monica relays her own like I said her own experience in therapy and with mental health and she's like I have a therapist and a psychiatrist Um, and she like offhandedly is like I've been on antidepressants since I was 17 like it's very sort of like this is just my life 
and and so she's normalizing it in a way that then like almost gives Evie permission and to then explore it for herself. Mm-hmm. And I think that there again, there's something very real about that when we normalize those sorts of things and people are more forthcoming with their experiences, then it makes it easier for somebody to be like, oh, OK, I'm going to go do that, too. Right. Um, which yeah, I, I, think it can, I think it can be a very hard thing to say, to say, like, I need therapy or I need help. And when you have friends that talk about it as like it's anything like, you know, that I can sit around with my friends and talk about, like, today I went to the dentist, tomorrow I have therapy, as if those are two this of the same things. And I think it's either Monica or the therapist. Monica has some good line about how um, she make how uh, therapy metaphors are a mixed bag because she says like someone once told her that uh, your uh, mind is the house you live in and you so it needs like work sometimes <laughs> and then they laugh and they're like therapy metaphors are a mixed bag and then the uh, uh, therapist makes a, a different metaphor later and she sort of like laughs about it and it's like yeah therapy metaphors can be shitty but it, it like but it's all in the sake of normalizing this like you've gone through a trauma now you need to mm-hmm. work on it even if you haven't you've gone through something and now you need to get a tune-up right yeah and then she does she goes to therapy she sells the house that she never wanted she buys a house that she does want that sounds lovely it's on the water it sounds great she gets a dog which i mean it's we all support should do it. it right um and and then she reaches out to Dean. And before this, though, we get a really good scene of Dean with his parents. Oh, yeah, I did really love this scene where he basically like apologizes to his parents for letting them down and or his mom and his mom's like, I am as proud of you as when you fail as when you won the World Series. Like, that's not what parents care about. And it's, yeah. like his mom again, like because I work in TV and movies, my brain was like, who would cast who would play this mother? It would be like Joan Allen. It would be great. <laughs> <laughs> but she just has that sort of like what are you talking about of course we're proud of you and then they ask about evie and he says like well that's over she couldn't deal with the fact that i like couldn't pitch anymore or whatever and they were like could she not deal with it or did you or could you not deal with it and they may they relay some story of when he wanted to go to baseball camp and kept leaving the brochure out and then they would say like do you want to go to this hon and he'd be like no it's fine but then he would keep leaving the brochure out. And in his memory, his parents had been like, you're going to this camp. But in reality, his dad had been like, you're going to this camp because you obviously want to. And he's he's like, you, and, then, no, and then the dad says, were you leaving brochures for Evie? And he's yeah, like, yeah, because like the sort of like impasse they come to is like he thinks that she doesn't want him because he can't pitch. And she thinks that he's not going to want to stay in this town and he's going to want to go back to New York and like his glamorous lifestyle. And like, she hasn't been able to fix him. Right. Um, in the end, he says, I, Oh my gosh. That, uh, uh, let me just, I, let me preface this like final, like reconciliation between the two of them by saying, I am obsessed with this <laughs> dialogue. Obsessed. Then I'm going to find it. So I get it right. Hang on. Yeah. Oh, good thing I fucking underlined it. 
He says, when, Ev, when it didn't work, when it looked like I was maybe going to be a high school gym teacher, it seemed like you thought that wasn't enough. And she says, Dean, I didn't want you to be able to pitch because it would mean you were enough. I wanted you to be able to pitch because it would mean I was enough. Her worth is tied up in her ability to fix men. And this man is not asking for that. Mm-hmm. And so she finally gets to have worth of her own. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he says, you are enough. And she says, so are you. And then tells him that she got a prescription for a dog from her therapist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like, again, there, the, the thing that I really appreciate about this book is that like, they separately like do their own work to like kind of figure their shit out and then they come back together. Right. And that's not, and like, that's not to say that like, when you're in a relationship, you can't continue to do your own individual work and your work in a relationship. Like, absolutely, that that happens. Um, but these two but individual think, people needed to. I, well, I think particularly, like, for Evie's story to be, like, fully fleshed out and fully kind of recognized, like, she needed to, you know, fix take back her life. Yeah. Fix herself first. And take back her name, which she does. Yeah. Which for some reason I had missed the first time around, or I just forgotten, like when I was rereading it and earlier in an earlier chapter when he says, like, you're going to carry around this man's name so you don't hurt his parents' feelings the rest of your life. And she was like, yeah, probably. And at the end, she like doesn't. And it does hurt his parents' feelings. They do feel like she's, you know, forsaken their son or whatever. And that's okay. It's okay that people are hurt in this because you can't live your life trying to hurt other people I mean obviously like be a good person don't intentionally hurt other people but like her his parents are not hers to take care of or fix right and so I really liked the Nian she's like you know I'm gonna take back my own name and I'm gonna give all the money he left me to a shit ton of cool charities but first she puts it in Dean's name so no one will wonder why (laughs) she's throwing money around it's just a really like there's just a really sort of nice, this ending where she starts being like honest about her feelings and honest about what's going on in her life and confronting her trauma. The only person she continues to lie to is his, is Tim's mother, which I think is fair. Yeah. You know, she says something like, I hope you're as happy in your new house as you were in this one. And she doesn't correct her, which is a gift she gives her. She doesn't need to. Yeah. And her son was. Yeah. But then she also doesn't need to keep his name because it would hurt them if she didn't like, it's just a really nice balance of like, how do you take care of yourself and also honor other people? And she does yeah, and finally. Not like, like just completely like, you're right. Like she, in reclaiming her own self and in asserting the things she needs, she also doesn't have to like shit all over this grieving mother. Right. You know? And I think that that's lovely. That, And I think it really honors who Evie is in this story to to have it that way. Yeah, she's not, she's becoming a more selfish person, but in a way that we all should be, like, we all should take care of ourselves, but she's not right. becoming, you know, she's not doing it at the... Hateful, the, yeah. Right. Or at the risk of others, like, others' own peace and whatever. Right. I don't know, it's just a really nice little detail that the one lie she keeps telling is to his mother. Anyway, so then she sends him the mitt he left her and tells him she misses him and he uh, drives up because that is logic. (laughs) And because it's a rom-com and because we don't wait to call, we just drive. (laughs) I love it. I love rom-com rules. And because 
like the scene of a man like showing up on your doorstep. Like also, she I, hears his truck and just knows it's his truck. Like injected into my veins, I want it always. Yeah, I love it. Love it. There's so many good. Like I could just read through this chunk and like read the lines up. I actually got annoyed at one point that I chose. I am not a novelist by any stretch. I've never tried. I likely never will. But there are chunks of, and because my brain works like this, I think of how this would be a movie. And then there are chunks of prose that I then get so sad wouldn't exist in a movie. Like, Mm -hmm. this is why when I watch, this is why I think really good film from book adaptations are so remarkable and why so, so often the movie is not as good as the book. Or like, you just fall in love with a book and then you watch the movie and you're like, it's missing these things. And in this case, like, it would be missing lines like you'd be missing lines like one last time she lay in her apartment pushing her palms into the floor missing dean so much that she felt dizzy like and she at the beginning of the book has laid on the same floor and thought to herself i don't miss him and at the end of the book she's lying on the same floor and thinking that she does miss dean and it's just like such a good Mm -hmm. it's such a good like bookend of the of the book but also like there are these lines of prose that just wouldn't go into a movie that make this such a good book yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's true. We always talk about, like, the book is better than the movie. And part of it is just because they're different mediums and there are things that books can do that movies just can't by virtue of what they are. Yeah, and I think the best adaptations of books sort of recognize that and don't try and shoehorn every great mm-hmm. detail of the book into a movie because you can't and instead find what makes it a good, what would make it a good story for a visual medium rather than a textual medium i have degrees i promise even but i think for like our purposes that's you know we have start we are a movie podcast and this is the first book that we've talked about because we were wanting to kind of look at other rom-coms that exist and or roms that exist um and I think that, like, for for the purposes of, like, what we do and sort of dissecting storytelling, like, it's interesting to think about what a romance looks like and how it's flushed out well or not so well in a movie versus how it's flushed out well or not so well in a book. Yeah. And this is an incredibly well flushed out romance. And I And I think it's also interesting, you know, like, as we've – been doing this for two years like we've become more and more clear about like what it is in a movie that works for us which versus like what doesn't work for us and I think that even though books and movies are different oftentimes like what works is the same and like well-written dialogue well-fleshed out characters particularly interesting female characters um natural slow burn evolving love right you know and and then secondary and tertiary relationships that feel lived in and fleshed out and realistic world yeah yes like those are the things that regardless of the medium we're talking about like those are the things that at least for you and i that we're looking for yeah and this checks all those boxes yeah i'm sad it's over yeah, I'm sad to be leaving, Evie. And we haven't quite figured out, like, what our next mini-sode endeavor is going to be. Join us next week for 
Something new. Something new. And we will figure out what our next mini is going to be and we will let you know. So just like keep joining us. Just subscribe yeah. so you don't miss it. Do this thing that they call it's like rate and review and subscribe. So yeah. you don't miss it. Please. <laughs> Please. Okay. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Where can people find us? You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Oh, thank you so much. One day we'll figure out how to end these episodes. Bye. (laughs) Right.